Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Cumming, Georgia, it's time for Simon Says Let's Talk Business 2.0. Now, here's your host, Gary Zermelin. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Simon Says Let's Talk Business 2.0 radio show. Uh, on this show, we talk with high-performing business professionals to sharpen our skills, learn new ideas and concepts, share best practices, and get to know really smart people. Let's listen carefully, take notes, and look for their contact information at the end so that you can engage with them. As always, we will conclude with a sales tip from me at the very end. Uh, yeah, we, we got some really interesting guests here. They have fantastic backgrounds and all of that. So I'm really excited about this one. It's going to be a lot of fun, but we, we got Joe Huggins here. He's in real estate with Keller yeah. Williams. We got you here and this is, this is awesome. And we oh. also got Ginger Bowman over here as well with Synergetic Media. Uh, so she'll be jumping on a little bit later on today as well. So it's just exciting to have both of you with us. Um, I guess we'll, we'll start with you, Joe. I mean, I mean we got to start with your background. I mean, I mean you, you go, I mean, we're talking about TV, movies, stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my first career, you know, you say you have about three different careers in your life, but my first passion was in uh, television primarily. Worked in Nashville. I got a, right out of college. I was able to get a job, believe it or not, as a director for the NBC affiliate. They owned the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. Yeah, and it's um, it. it was a fabulous time to be in Nashville and working with people there. Um, and, uh, you know, the funny thing about it was I, I did not like country music when I was uh -oh. coming out of college. I was kind of a jazz and classical type person, but I was at the heart of country music, working were. with some great people and learning a lot about the industry. I had a great three years there. When I was young and single and crazy, I decided, you know what, I need to go to L.A. That's where all the Ooh. big directors are. If I'm going to learn and grow, I need to go out there and give it a shot. So. When I was working in Nashville, all the uh, guys I worked with every day as cameramen and audio people, they were getting to work on all these big network specials, you know, out at the Grand Ole Opry House and so forth. But for a director that's local, you didn't get any of that exposure. Yeah. So, But I was uh, in a great pond there, went out to L.A. and kind of like start all over again. So I worked in all different capacities. Um from associate producer of some dramatic series. I used to write and direct a lot of commercials for Mattel Toys. That was one of my bigger clients. Yeah. Um, and in my you know experience in media, I've done everything from directing Billy Graham Crusades and uh, my last big creative effort when I'd come back to Atlanta. I wrote and produced a uh, IMAX film for Dollywood where you fly through the mountains and so forth. One of those ride films. It was those huge cameras. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the huge cameras. And uh, we had a great experience with that. Got to work with Dolly personally, you know. So that was fun. And uh, then I transitioned uh, through that process of getting into sales. Now, that's a big transition there. So you got to tell me about that. Well, you know, it was not that big a transition, but it was tough for me at first because I felt like I'm a creative person. I like creating stories. I'm not a salesperson. You know, to me, it was kind of like a demotion, if you will. You know, like yeah. my career was dying. Mm. But I realized that um, in the creative field where you've got scripts or ideas and storylines, you're really selling ideas to people, and you've got to communicate those ideas. So in a, in a sales capacity where you're selling a product, I was selling these high-end editing systems for film and television, but... Uh, I was still in the broadcast and television and film industry, but I was selling a product. So I, I realized my skills were still the same. Sure. So as I transitioned into that, there was a lot less pressure. I didn't have to you know, work night and day for 12 hours a day. Yeah. I could uh, 
deal with clients, go home, and still make a good living. So I thought, what's wrong with this? I'll just uh, enjoy this process. Yeah, and you were awfully good at it, too. I mean, you, you got some some great awards, you know, pretty early on, you know, in it, too. Well, yeah, I, uh, I was uh, quite blessed. I am uh, my first year in sales when I said, I hate this sales job. I don't want to be in a cubicle, you know. But I was working with a large company that had uh, a three-state area. They were dealing with broadcast. They actually put together all the technical side of the Olympics that came here to Atlanta. <laughs> I was just selling into this niche market of digital media, but I, uh, I was this top salesman in my very first year in sales. Yeah. The first year I said, that was that. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Now, of course uh, I did, uh, uh, it was based on my percentage of quota. So all the guys who'd been there for 20 years were selling more than I was, but you know, I had to meet a certain quota. So it was a great experience and uh, I enjoyed that. And I've still kind of continued in that vein for the most part. So uh, and now I'm just in a different category of sales, which is a yeah, technically another real estate. Yeah, right, yeah. another transition. So yeah, it, exactly. it's, it's Keller Williams, which, Keller by the Williams. way, is one of the, the biggest sales volume oh, in, yeah. in, in Georgia and probably in the world, right? It's international. Yeah, Keller Williams is international. And we are, you know, there's multiple offices in the Atlanta market, of course, of Keller Williams. And we're in the North Georgia area of Chattahoochee North. And um, so we're uh, the, the top four real estate Companies about sales volume in Atlanta are all uh, Keller Williams companies. Wow. And then nationwide, we are the largest in the nation. And, of course, Keller Williams now is international. So from a standpoint of having a team behind you that works with you, and I always say it's the power of we. I may not have all the answers to everything in real estate. Nobody does. But you've got a team of people you're working with in your office that can help you find those solutions whenever there's questions. And uh, I was surprised to learn that, Keller Williams, just in the United States and Canada, we do like a billion dollars a day a day in sales. So that's a pretty hard record to 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 match. And it's it's a good team to be with. I'm very happy to be with Keller Williams. I've been with other brokers um, in my real estate career, but it's been a really good experience to be with Keller Williams at Chattahoochee North. Now, how many people are there? I mean, how many is it? That sounds pretty. It's a pretty big franchise, isn't it? It is. And just in our office alone, there's a, a little bit over 400 wow, agents. 400. You know, uh, not all of them are active. You know, on a daily basis, but still, we have a great team there, and. Um, we probably have, I guess, probably a thousand in the greater Atlanta uh, area, I would think. Yeah. Now, I've, I've been hearing that there's been another shift that's <laughs> going on. Of course, we, we've yeah. been hearing that a lot, yeah, right? But mark- there's been another shift that's just beginning. Tell us a, about that and what does that mean for our real estate? You know, uh, Gary Williams has written a couple of books, of course, through his c- career. And one of the books he's written is called Shift, and it's all about preparing for the market. Uh, we've had a phenomenal market in the last couple of years. If most people know for sellers, if you were selling your home, you were getting, you know, an unbelievable amount of extra money than you had. You were getting offers a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars over what you were listing at yeah. in some different categories. Sure. Um, and for buyers, it was a tough market because they'd go to put an offering on a house and there'd be 20 multiple offers. So you had to really be up there escalating your pricing. The buyers would go out, then they would find that, oh, they love their dream house, and then somebody else bid $5,000 more, and they lost it. They had to start that search all over again. Very frustrating. So the market is still a strong seller's market. However, we're seeing it slow down a bit for sellers, beginning to see some price drops. So we're seeing that shift where it's coming back to a more balanced market between buyers and sellers. Now, again, still a strong seller's market uh, all over Atlanta and, of course, uh, nationwide. That's primarily because of inventory in the market. Mm -hmm. But we're not seeing the vast number of multiple offers. We're seeing some people, and this happens 
primarily, Gary, when you start seeing it in the luxury market of homes, mm-hmm. homes you know, 800 to over a million dollars, and they've been on the market, they've been getting you know, tremendous uh, prices and, and sales volumes over their list price. Now they're beginning to have to drop their prices after two or three mm-hmm. weeks. So houses are staying on the market a little bit longer. So we're seeing that it price drop and that shift coming down in luxury markets. And it's also happening more and more now in the markets between the average homes in Atlanta are about $460,000 on average. So in that $500,000 sweet spot, we're beginning to see that shift, not quite as dramatic, but still prices are beginning to come down, not as many multiple offers. So that makes it a little bit easier, I think, for everybody. But one of the things I try to tell clients when they're listing their house and they're going into sales, you know, your neighbor three months ago, he may have gotten $100,000 more for your house. And you say, boy, that's what I want to do. Well, let's look at what's happened in the last 30 days Mm because the market is shifting now. So what that is showing people is that you've got to be prepared for this market not what your neighbor got three months ago. It changes so quickly. You know, and I get a lot of people saying that. They say, well, I, I was going to buy a house, and now I don't think it's a good time to do that because you know interest rates are going up, and, and like you said, there's, houses are going for more money, and they say, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to buy my house. What would you tell someone who says that? You know, that's a, a good question. We get that a lot. But right now, I say the next 30 to 45 days is going to be one of the best times to buy or sell, and here's really? why. Because it's still a good seller's market and there's still low inventory. So you're still going to get pretty good top dollar for your house. Maybe not as much as you would have, you know, 60 days ago. But we, we look at the issues and people are concerned about recession. Well, you know, it's we are in a recession, even though the government is kind of tiptoeing about is it a technical recession or not, but let's face it, we're all feeling the effects of the economy right now, right? Mm -hmm. But when you look at recession over the last 30 years, since 1980, America has experienced nine different little pockets of recession. Wow. Now, during those times of recession, do you know that the home prices still increased? The only one of those out of nine recessions did the prices drop any significant amount. And that was during 2008 when everybody, you know, went under in real estate. So if you're afraid of recession and the R word, uh, it's an R rated market. It's it's recession, right? But it's still a great time and you're still going to get a good value for your home. Now, and then for buyers, you're going to see the situation where there's not as many multiple offers. So you're not mm-hmm. going to be going out and, and having your dreams shattered over and over again as much. So that's going to be a good. And the interest rates have gone up a bit. But here's the amazing thing. People see the uh, feds increase their rates, right? Mm-hmm. So we hear all the feds increasing the rates. They've gone up, I think, about uh, three quarters of a, of a prime rate. But that's going to affect people who are getting their credit card debt's going to go up in their rates. Your auto loans and things like that, and consumer debt loans are going to go up because of the increased Fed rate. We would expect the homes to go up too, wouldn't we? That's just it. We're talking about the interest rates and mortgage rates. That's not true. Mm -hmm. The mortgage rates are actually falling because of that. Really? And and I'm not an economist, but what we're seeing in the market, and we always say in real estate, you've got to kind of be the economist of choice for people because you have to help interpret what's going on because your dream home is, is your, your emotional connection and, and something that's going to increase you and your family. 
but it's also an investment. So it's an economic decision as well as an emotional decision, right? But what we are seeing is the fact that when the feds raise their prime rates, it makes the mortgage rates drop because bankers and those that are doing long-term lending, they're saying that's going to help slow down the recession. It's going to help the economy so we can be more confident of where home prices are going in the next 10 to 20 years. So I think the stats recently that the Fed rate went up about uh, 0.75% of their base rate. But, you know, the mortgage interest rates dropped about a half a percentage point. I think it was uh, something like uh, 5.5% about two or three weeks ago. Now it's dropped to 5.1%, so almost a half a point down mm. in your mortgage rates. Now, they're going to continue to fluctuate because that's sure. just part of it week by week. But it's still, you know, compared to 30 yeah, years ago. I was ago. going to say, what were they 30 years ago? I mean, that's when my parents were, you know, buying and stuff like that. I mean, it was exactly. double digits, right? You're right. We have seen interest rates being the double digits. And back, I think, during the Carter administration, people were paying 15%, you know, but they were still buying homes because people still have to buy and sell and be in, you know, uh, homes. So right now to say, oh, 5% is terrible. I don't want to buy are you kidding? I mean, when you look at it, it's a minimum amount. Now, it is a little bit higher than we've seen in this dramatic last two-year period. But still, if you can get into a home for 5%, it's still a great time to buy a home. It's a great time to sell a home. And don't let the interest rates spook you. Because, um, and I tell people, if you're renting, and I have some clients that are renting. Sure. A lot of people are doing that now. It's it's made a major increase in the um the home home equity market because people are we're afraid they're going to become uh, permanent rental uh, markets, and you want to get out of renting long term so that you can get into home ownership. That's going to drive the economy. It's going to make you more prosperous and financially. And so I had a client. He said, "You know, I'm going to wait for the prices to come down the homes. I'm going to wait for the interest rates to come down, and I'm going to stay in my rental property and sign another one year lease." I said. Let's look at this. Look at the facts. If you're going to commit to another year leasing for you and your family, the price you're going to be paying for a three-bedroom apartment in Johns Creek, Alpharetta, Forsyth, is going to be similar to what you'd be paying if you got into a mortgage. Yeah. And if you're renting. You're not getting any of that back. You're not getting any of that back. <laughs> None of it. Because yeah. I'd like to let them know, if you're renting, you know what your interest rate is if you're renting? 100%. So when you say, I'd rather stay in a rental property where my interest rate technically is 100% versus I want to buy a home and establish equity and 5%, then you're not being wise in that decision. So don't let the recession issues, don't let the interest rates scare you. And even though they're slightly higher, there's many different ways to, to come up with creative financing. And if if the interest rates drop, say, in five years. Refinance. Refinance, you know. And some of the uh, uh, lenders that we work with uh, have great creative programs where you might want to now uh, get into an adjustable rate mortgage. In the past, people didn't want those, didn't want those right, because they were afraid it's going to go up and up. Well, more than likely, it's going to come back down in the next seven years. So you can always refinance at that point. If you get adjustable rates, you're probably in the uh, mid to high fours, you know, depending upon the market at the time. And then uh, you refinance in uh, three or four years, and at that point, you're back at a lower rate. And we can't predict the market, but still, nonetheless, uh, 
this is a great time to get in and uh, own something for long term. Is there a program for someone who doesn't really have the credit rating? You know, they want to have a house now, but it, it, it's it's difficult to get that because they don't. Maybe they're just out of college or, or something like that. It was, is there a program to help them out? There are, and uh, there are many programs out there, and we can certainly uh, talk with people and help them find the thing that might best fit for them. There's programs for first-time home buyers where uh, they can get down payment assistance. So from that standpoint, the biggest hurdle usually for first-time buyers is coming up with a down payment, of course. So there's programs to help you with down payment assistance. And I have a program for people who uh, maybe their credit score is little weak right now. And um, we have a program that's called Lease to Own. How does that go? Well, what that does is it allows you, and it may be for somebody who, let's say, has just opened up a business. Maybe you've been in a business and you've had a salary, and you know, everybody wants to see your W-2 forms. Well, mm-hmm. if you've just opened up a business and you're going in business for yourself, you may have great capital. You may have great assets, but you can't show a steady income stream, right? And if you don't have two years of tax records to show how your new business is doing, mm-hmm. this may be a good time to get into the dream house for you and your family with a lease to own property. Now, a company will buy your dream house for you, lease it back to you, and we have like three different programs to qualify for. You only have to have a credit score right about 600. Oh, really? Okay. And a total income of about fifty to $60,000 in general, depending upon the program. And then you can be in a home and a portion of your monthly lease payments will go into equity so that two, three, four years down the line, now you've got that down payment. Now your credit score or your um, tax records of a couple of years look good. And now you can buy that home. Yeah, way better than renting. Way better Going than, into equity. Yes, yeah. exactly. So you know, for short term, mm-hmm. you are essentially leasing or renting, but you're in the home you want to be in, you're not in an apartment. Let's face it, you know, uh, homes that you can get into have a private uh, single-family home for about $200,000 a month are much better than being in an apartment complex mm. for the same price. Mm. So at least you're in a home. Plus they could, they could be increasing your rent. They're going to, rents are going to go up Monthly, just like I mean, everything you don't else. Know. I mean, you're that's completely right. subject to whatever they're going to do. Yeah. And that's going to go up year after year. So there's no way to avoid that, whether you're renting or whether you're buying a home. So yeah, it's a great time to buy a home. Joe, this has been a fantastic interview. I've really, I mean, as you can see, listeners, he is a subject matter expert at what he does in real estate. And so if you want to work with someone who knows, knows the business, uh, knows lots of different programs and options for you, I would highly recommend Joe. Joe, tell us again, what, how would they get in contact with you? Sure. Um, I have a website. And from that website, you're able to uh, contact me by phone or email. It's very easy. It's just my name, Joe Huggins. And that's H-U-G-G, Joe Huggins Realtor. Dot com. I guess that's what they do after they get to deal with you, but they give you a big hug, I'm guessing, too. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we do a lot of hugging when we, when we close those deals. That's right. I think that needs to be part of it. Yeah. If it isn't already, that should be your moniker. I like that's that. right. Yeah. Well, my moniker, the thing I tell people about now is my, I have a philosophy. I'll just be brief here. Uh, my philosophy is uh, defined by C-E-N. Sounds like sin, but it's spelled with a C, right? C-E-N. And my philosophy in working with clients is C, communicate. Sometimes people say, I never hear from my real estate agent. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to communicate, be in touch with you on a daily basis so you don't know, never have to worry about what's going on. E, I'm going to educate you. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on in the market. There's programs, and it's just understanding what the real estate market is doing. 
That's the E. The N is negotiate. So the big part of what I do is mm-hmm. negotiating. Part of my experience in working with studios and so forth here and in Atlanta it was in the film movies. industry. You were negotiating. And, and I was yeah. negotiating yeah. the film uh, lab deals for films like Blind Side and uh, The Walking Dead. We all know that one here in Georgia. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I had to negotiate with the, with the Hollywood studios. So that's a big part of negotiating uh, different terms and prices for my clients. So C-E-N, communicate, educate, negotiate. That's my focus. And my little moniker or my motto is it's real estate with unreal service. Love that. I love that. Joe, thank you so much for being on today. It was a pleasure having you. Yeah. Now, ladies you. and gentlemen, we got another guest today, and you're going to love this one. Uh, this is uh, Ginger Bowman. Now, she is with Synergetic Media, so I'm going to kind of give you a feeling of what that is, uh, folks. It, it's a lot, so hold on to your, uh, to your seats here. But Synergetic Media provides creative marketing solutions, uh, branding and design, brand strategy, commercial printing, web design and development, SEO. She might talk a little bit more about what that is if you don't know what that is. And also video marketing. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I've had people on the show before, Ginger, and they may be one or two of these, but never so many. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about this. This is a lot of stuff that you're offering. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Great to have you. It's great to see you again. Yeah. So we go back a bit from when I first bought the company. Um, So to talk a little bit about that, uh, the company was initially commercial printing with a minimal amount of design work. So design was really outsourced primarily, um, you know, and would always relate to the print. So designing brochures and things like that, but not too much. And my vision for the company when I got it was always to transform it and bring it into more of the modern era. So some people said, well, isn't print dead? Well, print's never going to be dead, but it does not have the big piece of the pie that it had once, and it never will again. Another shift. Yeah, there was a paradigm shift, obviously, with the internet, and we all pop on our phone and things like that. So for me, it was really about focusing on bringing the print portion of the business, and, and not so much focusing on the medium, but as on the message. So what does print do? Is it we were a commercial printing, B2B primarily, right? So not so much people walking in, you know, a student wanting a one-off, but we, you know, our clients are other businesses. Um, and so we started focusing on the message more than the medium. So what are, the, what are they doing? Well, they're marketing. So we moved the company to a marketing company that prints. Um, and we're really, we're a marketing company. So like many marketing companies, we offer a variety of services. So if you go online and you Google most of these marketing companies, marketing is a big field. It so is. you'll find all kinds of marketing companies. You'll find companies that do focus on digital marketing, mm-hmm. um, but you'll also find creative agencies. So we're probably more, we're a hybrid between, a, um, between those. And I think one of the one of the inspirations that I had, not to you know promote a competitor, although they're much larger, they're an inspiration really, is a company called Phase 3. So if you ever look them up, they're one of the largest print companies in the nation, mm. and they're also a fully established marketing company. Mm. Um, and it's something a lot of print companies tried to do. I won't lie to you. You see a lot of companies trying to do it, but not that many people do it successfully. And we have, and so I'm super proud of that, and, um, and it's been very exciting well, it is um, exciting. You know, if I'm a business and if I'm working with you, I mean, there's got to be some big advantages to work with you because you can do so many different things. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. How would that be an advantage to me to work with you because you can cover so many bases? 
Um, you know, I think that our ideal client is really that client that takes advantage of our what we're able to do the most. But we love all of our clients. You know, someone can pop in and say, hey, uh, I have what we call print-ready artwork. Can you print my business cards? We're like, yeah, come on board. You know, we want to baby and spoil them. Sure. So one of the things I tell my staff is that everybody is important. Everybody you know, I want everyone, I want my staff to have that philosophy. I, I don't care if it's a $40 box of business cards, a $4,000 video, or a $40,000 a year client because they've taken on the full package. Obviously, we love the clients that love us. You know, I mean, everyone likes to be liked. But, um, you know, I think that the clients that take advantage of the full suite of services consider us part of their team. Uh, like literally they do. Like I have their email. Like they put me on their, like the I, seat at I their represent table. them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I call, I say, I'm with the marketing team of XYZ company um, mm -hmm. because that's how they see me. And that's what, you know, they, and I, I love that. It, to me, it's a huge responsibility. Like I take it very seriously as well. Like it's almost like having children, you know, like all these children, like they've entrusted me and my people with one of the most precious things and most important things that they have other than their families, which is their livelihood. Yeah. And I take it very seriously. I actually do. Um, and so we really work hard to do the best possible job for them because they've entrusted us with that. And so I have clients that we do their printing, we did their rebrand, we did their website. I'm working on a video right now. And this weekend, we're going to go do some photography for, for upping their gallery. Um, and then we handle their social media and their newsletters. So, so it's almost like a one-stop one shop. shop. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that's just, yeah, but that's such an advantage because yeah. I have to keep going to somebody else with this and then you got to transfer that over to me and it goes, goes to them and then, then sometimes they may not use it correctly or use the right Pantone colors or whatever. I don't have to worry mm. about that no. with you guys because it, it, it's seamless. Mm -hmm. And the trust level is there. And I really think that in the end, what I've found is that the companies that entrust us with their marketing it is about trust because they're dealing we're dealing with their livelihood and so once the relationship is there and that they know that they can trust that a i'm very impassioned for my clients i mean that and i try to you know push that to the staff or i, I don't know if pitch is the right word because that sounds forced forced it's more like attract that bring that out in the staff like the leader of a company it's about attracting the team do you know mm -hmm. so the people are the body of the business. I'm like the brain, but they're the arms and legs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I have to have a healthy body of the business. So the team is everything. So I rely on my team. What I do, though, is I bring the team together. I'm responsible for choosing that team. Seriously, if they're yeah. not up the good fit, they got to go. Yeah. You know, so if they're not taking care of the clients, they're not a good fit for us. And so, um, you know, we take care of the clients. The trust is there. We have fair pricing. They know I'm not going to price gouge them. Um, and so then they don't have to worry anymore. Yeah, I got to go back to, I mean, you're kind of an inspiration to me as well. I mean, you, it didn't start out so easy. No. It didn't start out easy <laughs> at all for not you. And that's when I first met you. And I mean, you got, you mean that... It was stacked against you, you know, when you bought this company. And tell us a little bit about it. Even Forbes recently even did an article on you. I mean, you, you didn't just uh, overcome one op obstacle. It was multiple obstacles. And you still be able to, to come out of that. So tell us a little bit about that. How you got into the business, 
what happened and how did you overcome all those obstacles? Yeah, we're going to need more than 10 more minutes. I know. But, um, but I will try. <laughs> yeah, that's and a, I am a long story. Yeah. I am a storyteller. Oh, this is too. a good one, folks. I love a story. So before I launch into that, I think one thing people often ask, and I know I'm answering not your question, I'm answering a different one, is, and it was not on something we thought about asking is how did you get into marketing? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. first of all, Joe, hi, nice to be here with you. Um, I also, we share that um, experience in the entertainment industry. That's right. You and my background too? was in feature film and that's all about telling stories, you know, and it's a whole thing, the entertainment industry. And um, I love to tell stories. And then I was a professor teaching students how to get into the industry that I left. So it was, you know, parlayed into that, but I love helping people. And I have found a passion for marketing, like a literal passion, because for me, it's the intersection of storytelling and helping people. Makes sense. It At first I would is. see the transition again, like Joe's, it's like, how did this materialize? But now when you explain it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I would probably love being in the film industry most if it wasn't for the aspect of helping people that marketing has. You know, you're, it's really others-centered um, as teaching is. Teaching is others-centered. You're not in the limelight. You know, sure. you're behind the scenes. And um, so marketing is a little mix, you know. But um, so it wasn't so easy, though. So to answer your question, like, so people often say, how did you get into buying a yeah. print company yeah. and yeah, what did, happened? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Owning this business is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, maybe parenting might run in the yeah. race. Yeah, of course, you had to do both at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I think being a good parent is probably the greatest challenge, but the hardest thing really has been owning a business. Yeah. I came into this with no previous business experience. I probably need my head checked. <laughs> they say if you knew what you're getting into, you wouldn't have done it. No. So I, I think some of that naivety is, is, is good. <laughs> I would not have. But um, but now I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. Yeah. And so once I got in it, just to be perfectly transparent, I had a ginormous loan, SBA loan, on my home. I leveraged my home as collateral. Mm. And one thing I could not do is lose my home. Yeah, you've been homeless. I mean, well, in a way. for my kids, yeah. it wasn't even for me. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing for my kids, believe it or not. Oh, it was all about them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had my share in the limelight when I was in the film industry. I had my walk in the sun. I worked on Oscar winning films and moved my way up the ladder in the top company in the world, which is Sony Imageworks. I had a leadership position there and so forth. And I had my limelight, you know. I wasn't doing it for notoriety. I was doing it to have more financial control of my future. Right. And what I found when I got into the business is I lost control of my financial, you know, because I had Scary. all these hardships. So what happened is I bought this business and I, I actually did look up a few statistics. Is that 20% fail in their first year. By five years, 50% of small businesses are gone. I'm now in my fifth year, approaching my fifth year. And by 70%, 70 are gone in 10 years. Well, I'm going to be here. I passed it. I passed the test. Nothing is going to turn. Multiple nothing tests. Nothing is going to squash <laughs> me. I happen, I believe it firmly. 
um, because I've been tried to be squashed by circumstance Didn't and work. fate, <laughs> and I'm still here. Still it's like that, not dead yet. What is that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? You know, it, it is an attitude, though. It really is. You know, if you have that attitude that I can overcome anything, you will. Oh, I have books on grit. Yep. There's a book on grit. Um, you know, I have I have many books about inspiring, you know, how to inspire yourself and, yeah. um, you know, but uh, yeah, so I, I've gone out there and, but I've been, I was like that before I bought this business. I've always been very tenacious um, and I get that, I, I used to call it um, a pit bull with a bone. You know, pit bulls lo- can lock their jaw on things oh, yeah. and you can literally pick them up and swing them around and they will have locked their jaw. And I've always had that quality of like beeline focus where I literally will lock my jaw. I will not give up. And for this particular one, I couldn't, I had burned my bridges because I was unwilling to sacrifice my home. And so I had to make it work. And that's what I did. You know, sometimes when you can't go backwards, you just have to dig in. So what happened is that I purchased a business that had, and the term for it is high customer concentration. Mm -hmm. It's one of the death knells for a lot of businesses. It's one of the biggest risks. And so being naive, which I will admit that I was, I didn't do enough due diligence because I was naive enough to realize that I didn't didn't know that I could. Like, I didn't know I could ask those questions. Like, Mm -hmm. now I know, you know. So I, I... I was overly trusting. And so I purchased a business. This is a shocker. Three clients were 70% of the business. And are you ready for this? All three were in jeopardy. Oh. Uh. So within the first year, one of the clients, two of the clients went away altogether. I won't go into details, but I also then found myself in a lawsuit, which I'd never been in before. I had to sue mm. the, the seller because he took, he violated his non-compete. I won't go into it, but I lost a 35% client because of it Ooh. and found myself in a lawsuit, which since has been settled. And that's stressful too. Oh yeah. And so, you know, I mean, there talk about, <laughs> you know, welcome to the school of hard knocks. Well, yeah. And so mm. I remember sitting on my porch, I live in a cul-de-sac, it's a wonderful neighborhood. And I like to sit on my porch in what's called the golden hours. So and now, you know, I'm speaking to my film background, but with a, with a glass of white wine, it's one of my favorite things to do to just relax. But I remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, when the full ramification of what I had gotten myself into was hitting me, that I realized, I said, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive? 70% of my business is with these three clients mm. and all three are in jeopardy. And I, I was like, I, I just thought there's a way out. I just got to find it. You know, yes, I'm just a believer the, in that's it. That's the attitude right there is the answer is there. I'm going to find I it. I just have to find it. Yeah. And I knew that there was a way out, like the, through the camel is. through the eye of the needle or whatever. The, I knew there had to be a way. I just had to find it because I know that some businesses fail and some businesses are phenomenal successes. So there's a path to that success. What is it? And I've always had that attitude. I don't know it, but I'm going to find out. And that's how I got into the film industry as well. Like when I went into the film industry, I was a waiter at a TGI Friday's. Mm. <laughs> I graduated as a painting major and couldn't find a freaking 
job. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, so then I worked in a gallery and made no money. Starving, so I was like, I was, Los Angeles yeah. is expensive. Oh. So I started working waiting tables because I could make more money than in a gallery. And I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with myself, right? So it was that same personality. And I went with my waiting tables friend and I saw, and I'm going to date myself, I went to The Mask, which was one of the first visual effects films of any renown along with Jurassic Park. And I walked, I had Jim Carrey, I walked out and I said to my waiting tables friend, I said, that's what I'm going to do. And he turned and he looked at me and said, do you know how to do it? I said, not a clue. I said, but I'm going to find out. And that's exactly what I did. And at that time, there were no SCADs. There were no, because yeah. I told you I was a professor at SCAD for a while. There were no schools. There were the literally. The internet was just beginning to yes, blossom at that there point. There were so. no schools anywhere that taught that. And so I won't go into that story, but I managed, let me tell you that way. But I managed through people helping me. People helped me along the way. They gave me It's probably illegal, but they gave me bootleg software. It's not really illegal because I didn't make any money off of it. I just trained and I would stay up late. I would, I would, I would wait tables. You know, I, then it was a cocktail waitress. I would stay up late after that, you know, training on my software with borrowed manuals. And then I finally got myself an internship and then I would work hard at that and learn, you know, learn on the job and stay up late some more, take whatever classes I could find. There were little one-offs here and there. Somebody gives me a break. I take it, you know, I get a job interview and next thing I know I'm at a gaming company and then I'm at a I'm at my first film company, and then eventually I'm at Imageworks, and then I would move my way up the ladder at Imageworks to a leadership position there, and things just go. See, this is something that, you know, to the listeners, you know, if you want someone to hire, you know, if it's a marketing group or, or synergetic, this is why you want to hire them. It's not just hiring them for what they do. It's this attitude that they bring with them. And don't you want someone that has grit that's going to come in there like Ginger, and she's going to say, you know, Let's find a way to make this work. And she's going to find it for you and your company. And that, that's really an exciting thing uh, to know that there's people out there like you that can do that for others and, and their companies. Well, it's really about bringing together the right people so for to, to service the clients. So that's where they're, you know, when you're building something. So I'm a creative, but I'm also very smart. But that's the extent of tooting my horn. I'm going to move on because I want to talk about the team. So all that 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 allows me to do is try to navigate the waters. You know what I mean? So I'm blessed. I didn't I didn't I didn't do anything to earn that. I just born that way. The question is, what do I do with it? And I really believe that. And, you know, it's like so I think that every business is is intended to put something back into society. We are given a gift for a reason. And I don't want to get all hoogy-poogy, but I really do. I think, you know, we're a society. We're, we're not, you know, we, we, we're a group of people that all have different talents, and we're meant to all bring our talents to the community in different ways, you know, and, and give back through that. And so I think that, you know, they talk about that. They talk about businesses finding their vision, you know, that your business should have a vision, and your t- employees should know what that vision is. Um, and I believe in that. So all that, all that stuff that they you read in the books, I had no experience when I bought this business, but it became very real to me once I owned a business, you know, is that these things do matter, you know, having a purpose for your business that you can share with your um, staff. 
Um, and then bringing something to the world so that you have some sort of other purpose that you're not just there to make money. Obviously I'm here to make money, but I'm also motivated by, I need that money to provide for my kids and my family. I need to pay my mortgage. I need to pay for college, you know, but I also, um, have that personal drive to be a big success. I do. I'm ambitious, but then also I want to put something back into the world. And so I think that when you can find those ingredients that help you, then those are the things that fuel success. Do you know? Did you tell us if, for the listeners if they want to get in touch with you and find you and do business with you? What's the best way to do that? Share with us some of that contact um, information. Yeah, well, uh, email is always good. Sure. Uh, so it's ginger dot bowman at synergetic media, and to help people remember synergetic, it's synergetic like energetic. Uh. And we are a very energetic group. Yeah, yeah we, we can sense that from you too. <laughs> and synergy is all about bringing people together, yeah. right? So energy and synergy coming together. Like yeah, that. and so synergetic is S Y N E R G E T I C media all run together dot com. And um, you know, shoot me an email, drop me a line, find me online, um, and we are here to help primarily. Other businesses thrive and survive out here in the uncertain economic times. It's been wonderful having you as a guest. I'm sure our listeners are saying the same thing. You're an inspiration to them as well. And it's that fortitude and that grit and the right attitude, you know, really can get us through anything and everything. And if you don't believe it, uh, grab some coffee with Ginger and she'll tell you it's, it's all very possible. So thank you for being on the show. And, and Joe, it's been awesome hearing from you as well. It's been Awesome. I'll just thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's been great. Very good. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do the uh, sales one, two, three with Gary Z. Uh, so this is where I come and have a one of our radio listeners uh, write in a sales question, uh, which we did today as well, uh, or a challenge that they are facing, and I give them some tips on how to overcome that challenge. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. So this was actually written in uh, by David. And David says, uh, I was in a sales meeting uh, the other day and my prospect told me my competition was cheaper. What should I do? Uh, well, David, that's not an uncommon statement for people to make. They, they may say that, uh, that the competition is cheaper. It could be because they are an experienced uh, buyer and uh, they're just being good stewards of their resources and they're trying to get a better deal. They're trying to get you to bring the price down. They're trying to get you to discount and all of that. So, and we can't hold that against them. They're, that's just what they're supposed to do. Uh, or it could be that the, the competition is cheaper. Uh, whatever you do, David, uh, don't concede to giving them a better price. Uh, better to ask a few poignant questions at this point. And, um, and I think it's also okay to be honest and come right out and say, Hey, you know, I, I, it's true. You know, we're not the bottom line option. Uh, we're not. Um, but could you tell me, is there something about us that you prefer over that competition? That's a little bit lower. Now it's one of two things that's going to happen here. Uh, one is they may say, no, you're exactly the same, except your price. And in which case we can disqualify them. I mean, it's, it's okay. We're not going to be a resource for everybody folks. It's just being able to qualify them. And that's what we're doing in this question to see if that really is uh, where they're going to be making their decision. Uh, rarely, by the way, is it completely on price? There are other things. Now, the second thing they may say is, well, yeah, well, actually, uh, maybe it's, you're doing computer 
technical IT work or something like that. And they may say, well, they, they say it takes about 24 hours to get back when we have a problem. And you mentioned that you can get back within an hour. And uh, that, that, that is something that we prefer. Now we got a scene. Now we can say something like, yeah, but probably not worth spending more money for that, is it? And then they will respond. And we listen very carefully to what they say here. Well, it, it could be. Okay, so if it takes 24 hours, let's talk about some of those costs to your business. Does that mean you might lose customers? Does that mean you got a staff of 20 people sitting there fumbling with their fingers, waiting for the computer to work? Uh, what is that costing you? And by the end of it, you may find that the competition really isn't cheaper. Because when you figure in those costs to that business, um, it's not. And that's the whole point here, is that you're not just talking about price. We got to talk about value and what you're going to be bringing to the table. So with some of those questions, David, could help turn around the conversation. Um, but I will tell you this, it's rarely on price alone. There's other factors in there. David, thank you for writing in. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us today and for tuning in to Simon Says, Let's Talk Business 2.0. I'm your host, Gary Zermelin. And until next time, good selling. <laughs>